Welcome to Living the Bible Together. This is Dr. Troy Shaw, pastor of the Liberty Hill Church, internationally headquartered in Columbus, Ohio, located at 4410 Refugee Road. We worship here online Sundays at 11 a.m. We celebrate communion on the first Sunday of each month. Our Bible study is on Wednesdays at 7 o'clock p.m. For additional information, log on to livingthebibletogether.org. Join us here weekly as we're living the Bible together through education, missions, and ministry. Liberty Hill, living the Bible together through education, missions, and ministry. Good evening. We're going to continue with our study of Ezekiel. I praise God that we have the opportunity to investigate his word yet again. In this lesson, we will be looking at chapters 12 through 15. I will remind you again that my interpretations of Ezekiel are based on much prayer, a good bit of research, and thank God uh, for the Holy Spirit. Very little is just my opinion, but for that part which is, I will ask your patience and forbearance. So let's pray before we begin chapter 12. Father God, in the name of Jesus, we praise you and we thank you for your holy word. Please, Lord, be with us as we study your word and open our hearts and minds to you in all things. In Jesus' name we pray. Beginning at chapter 12, verse 1 and 2. The word of the Lord also came unto me, saying, Son of man, thou dwellest in the midst of a rebellious house, which have eyes to see and see not. They have ears to hear and hear not, for they are a rebellious house. In the last chapter, a vision had just ended for Ezekiel. Now this word of God is spoken to Ezekiel and not in a vision. The message of Ezekiel was addressed to his fellow exiles, who were as hardened as those still in Jerusalem. They were so intent on a quick return to Jerusalem that they would not accept his message of Jerusalem's destruction. Their rebellion was against God. They were not obedient. They were stiff-necked and rebelled against all authority over them. They hear the message of Ezekiel. They hear it with their ears, but they don't take it into their beings. They can actually see the captivity around them, but they still don't believe it to be a punishment from God. Verse 3, Therefore thou son of man, prepare thee stuff for removing, and remove by day in their sight, and thou shalt remove from thy place to another place in their sight. It may be they will consider, though they be a rebellious house. Prepare thee stuff for removing means pack your bags. Preparing the baggage represents the inhabitants of Jerusalem who must pack their bags and go into captivity. The exit through the hole in the wall pictured the vain attempt of King Zedekiah to escape. Both of these prophetic actions were literally fulfilled when Jerusalem was destroyed. The people were taken captive and Zedekiah's attempt attempted escape was foiled. He was compelled to watch his sons being slain before his eyes. His eyes were then blinded and he was taken to Babylon. God had not been able to teach them with words that he has spoken through Ezekiel. Now he is telling Ezekiel to do something that they can see with physical eyes. God has Ezekiel show them in the physical what will happen. It's an example for them. God says, pack your things, stack them outside your house in the daylight so they can see. 
verses 4 through 6. Thou sh- then shalt thou bring forth thy stuff by day in their sight as stuff for removing, and thou shalt go forth at even in their sight as they that go forth into captivity. Dig thou through the wall in their sight and carry out thereby. In their sight thou shalt thou bear it upon thy shoulders and carry it forth in the twilight. Thou shalt cover thy face that thou see not the ground, for I have set thee for a sign unto the house of Israel. This is a visual message of God to them about going into a strange land of captivity. Ezekiel is to act out the prophecy. He was not to go out the door. His digging through the wall indicates an escape. This also depicts those in desperation trying to escape from the sun-dried brick houses. Ezekiel 7 through 9. And I did so as I was commanded. I brought forth my stuff by day as stuff for captivity. And in the even, I digged through the wall with mine hand. I brought it forth in the twilight, and I bare it upon my shoulder in their sight. And in the morning came the word of the Lord, saying unto me, Son of man, hath not the house of Israel, the rebellious house, said unto thee, What doest thou? Dig through the wall in the twilight. This indicates escape by night. This prophetic sign anticipates King Zedekiah's nighttime attempted escape. Blinded by his captors, Zedekiah did not see the ground when brought to Babylon where he later died. This shows the obedience of Ezekiel. He did everything just as God has commanded him to do. God asks Ezekiel if this sight lesson had caused the house of Israel to take notice and ask why this is done. At this point, God has sent message after message in all sorts of ways. 10 through 12. Say thou unto them, thus saith the Lord God, this burden concerneth the prince in Jerusalem and all the house of Israel that are among them. Say, I am your sign, like As I have done, so shall it be done unto them, and they shall remove and go into captivity. And the prince that is among them shall bear upon his shoulder in the twilight, and shall go forth. They shall dig through the wall to carry out thereby. He shall cover his face, that he see not the ground with his eyes." Prince is a reference to King Zedekiah, who was always referred to by Ezekiel as prince, never king. Jehoiachin was regarded as the true king because the Babylonians never deposed him formally. The things that had happened to to Ezekiel in front of them was a sign of what would happen to Zedekiah and the Israelites. They would be led away captive. Zedekiah cannot see the ground with his eyes because they had blinded him. He will then carry his own belongings on his own shoulders. They had tried to escape by a hole in the wall. Verses 13 through 15. My net also will I spread upon him, and he shall be taken in my snare. And I will bring him to Babylon, to the land of the Chaldeans. Yet shall he not see it, though he shall die there. And I will scatter toward every wind all that are about him to help him and all his bands and I will draw out the sword after them. And they shall know that I am the Lord when I shall scatter them among the nations and disperse them in the countries. The net and snare referred to were the Babylonian army. Zedekiah was taken captive to Babylon, but he never saw it because he had been blinded. We see his attempted escape did not work. He with his men were caught. 
He was caught up in the captivity. No special favors were shown to those who had a higher rank. The capture of Zedekiah would cause his followers to scatter. They would be afraid and run when their ruler is taken. God's hand was to be with the enemy as his rod of correction, with only a few left. Now we see the purpose in this. God will prove to them that he is God. Their false gods will not be able to help them against God. It is God that scatters them, even though the physical enemy is Babylon. God is using Nebuchadnezzar to carry out his punishment on them. Verse 16, but I will leave a few men of them from the sword, from the famine, and from the pestilence, that they may declare all their abominations among the heathen, whither they come, and they shall know that I am the Lord. A few who are spared will admit the abominations they'd been involved in. The heathen will even know why this terrible siege has come upon God's people. There will be no doubt left who is God. Verses 17 and 18. Moreover, the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Son of man, eat thy bread with quaking, and drink thy water with trembling and with carefulness. This introduces a second sign in the chapter. Ezekiel was to tremble as he ate and drank as a sign of the terror that would grip the nation back in Judah. Bread will be extremely short, and the quaking would be from weakness as well as fear. Even clean water would be extremely short during this time. We know that the famine will be so great that many will starve to death. Not only had the war kept them from producing food, but the natural elements did not cooperate with them. God has spoken this terror, and it's so. The carefulness spoken of would be to make sure that there would be enough food left for another day. They had not heeded the warnings. Now, along with the warnings, was to make them listen and heed. Nineteen and twenty. And say unto the people of the land, Thus saith the Lord God of the inhabitants of Jerusalem and of the land of Israel They shall eat their bread with carefulness and drink their water with astonishment, that their land may be desolate from all that is herein, because of the violence of all them that had dwell that dwell therein. And the cities that are inhabited shall be laid waste, and the land shall be desolate, and ye shall know that I am the Lord. When the people ask Ezekiel, why is he doing this? He has, he's to answer them in this way. They had brought this on themselves by their evil lifestyle. The word all lets us know that the sin was widespread, not to just a few. They surely cannot say that God did not warn them. He has told them over and over. Not only did he speak to them in words, but he showed them an example through Ezekiel. Verses 21 and 22. And the word of the Lord came unto me, saying, Son of man, what is that proverb which that proverb that ye have in the land of Israel, saying, The days are prolonged, and every vision faileth? There is a break here to show that God is speaking to Ezekiel at another time. The visions that fail are the visions of the false prophets. Some time took place even after the immediate attack on Judah before Jerusalem was destroyed. The people in captivity, as well as those in Judah, did not believe God would destroy Jerusalem. The days are prolonged. About 70 years will pass before they will go back into the land. The people did not want to trust Ezekiel's vision because it was bringing bad news. They wanted to believe the false prophets who said they would be back in Jerusalem within two years. 
verses 23 through 25. Tell them, therefore, thus saith the Lord God, I will make this proverb to cease, and they shall no more use it as a proverb in Israel, but say unto them, The days are at hand, and the effect of every vision. For there shall be no more any vain vision nor flattering divination within the house of Israel. For I am the Lord, I will speak, and the word that I shall speak shall come to pass. It shall be no more prolonged. For in your days, O rebellious house, will I say the word and will perform it, saith the Lord God. Ezekiel must tell them that the time for waiting is up. Delay has given the people the false impression that judgment would never come. In fact, a saying had become popular, no doubt developed by false prophets who caused the people to reject Ezekiel's visions and prophecies. Verse 24 is speaking of the false prophecy that's been given. God will stop the mouths of these false prophets. He not only stops the mouth of the false prophet, but he speaks the truth to them through Ezekiel. Now he has set a time. This will take place in the lifetime of those he is speaking to. He again reminds them of their rebellion toward him. This is God. Ezekiel twelve twenty six and 27. Again, the word of the Lord came to me saying, Son of man, behold, they of the house of Israel say, The vision that he seeth is for many days to come, and he prophesieth of the times that are far off. This means that there was an interval of time between the last statement and this one to Ezekiel. But God stresses to Ezekiel the error in them thinking that this prophecy is for some time far in the future. They thought this would happen to some future generation, surely not to theirs. Does that sound familiar at all? 28. Therefore say unto them, Thus saith the Lord God, There shall none of my words be prolonged any more, but the word which I have spoken shall be done, saith the Lord God. Because they have believed this way, God says the time is now. At least in the last few verses, they have realized that Ezekiel was a true prophet. They just believed his prophecy was for the far distant future. But God sets them straight. The time is now. One cannot help but think of the words written in the book of Revelation about the time which is coming. How many treat that book and those prophecies written there as something which is still a long way off or may never happen? But there will come a time when he will wait no longer. That time is here for them. God is not a man that he should lie. Whatever he says will be. And that is the end of chapter 12. Going on to chapter 13, verses 1 through 3. And the word of the Lord came unto me, saying, Son of man, prophesy against the prophets of Israel that prophesy. And say thou unto them that prophecy comes out of their own hearts. Hear ye the word of the Lord. Thus saith the Lord God, Woe unto the foolish prophets that follow their own spirit and have seen nothing. This word of the Lord is to a particular group and not to the entire nation. This is a different prophecy from the last chapter. This one is directed to the false prophets themselves. False prophets had long flourished in Judah and had been transported to Babylon as well. Here God directs Ezekiel to indict those false prophets for their futile assurances of peace. In the case of the true prophets, their mouths are not their own. God speaks to the people through them. 
The false prophets in Israel were not innocently in error. They had made up these prophecies themselves, pretending that the message came from God. Woe introduces a curse on false prophets. They were like workmen who tried to cover a severely cracked wall with whitewash. Verses 4 through 7. O Israel, thy prophets are like the foxes in the deserts. Ye have not gone up into the gaps, neither made up the hedge for the house of Israel to stand in the battle in the day of the Lord. They have seen vanity and lying divinations, saying, The Lord saith, and the Lord hath not sent them, and they have made them, and they have made others to hope that they would confirm the word. Have ye not seen a vain vision, and have ye not spoken a lying divination, whereas ye say the Lord saith it, albeit I have not spoken? Foxes are clever and tricky, and these false prophets are tricky too. They weren't telling the truth. They were telling things to make themselves look good and be respected in the community. Generally speaking, a prophet of God brings warnings to the people. Seldom are they proclaiming wonderful times. The ultimate way to tell who is a false or a true prophet is, did the prophecy come true? They should have been calling their people to repentance. Instead, they were betraying the people with these false prophecies. The vanity speaks of how they are serving their own egos. Divination in this particular instance is speaking of witchcraft. These false prophets have deliberately tried to injure the good name of the Lord. The people may not realize that this message is not from God, but God and the false prophets know. God tells them through Ezekiel that they are not deceiving him. Verses 8 and 9. Therefore, thus saith the Lord God, because ye have spoken vanity and seen lies, therefore, behold, I am against you, saith the Lord God. And mine hand shall be upon the prophets that see vanity and that divine lies. And they shall not be in the assembly of my people. Neither shall they be written in the writing of the house of Israel. Neither shall they enter into the land of Israel. And ye shall know that I am the Lord God. This is a, st a strong statement that fits the false prophets. He is against the prophets. God loves truth. A threefold judgment is given to the false prophets. One, they would not be in the council of God's people. Two, their names would be wiped from the register of Israel. And three, they would never return to the land. God will stop them from prophesying and their name will be taken off the roll. Israel was well known for their record keeping, but they, these would not be included in the records. They will not be included when Israel is restored. This is speaking of a curse that comes upon them, and they will not be remembered. They will not even be citizens anymore. They are made outcasts by God himself. Verses 10 and 11. Because, even because they have seduced my people, saying, Peace, and there was no peace. And one built up a wall, and lo, others daubed it with untempered mortar. Say unto them which daub it with untempered mortar, that it shall fall. There shall be an overflowing shower, and ye, O great hailstones, shall fall, and a stormy wind shall rend it. Their work has been in vain. They built things that would not stand in time of trouble. They had been speaking of peace, and there was no peace. They were leading others to destruction, while all the time they were pretending they were building them up. 
false prophets had lulled the people into false security, phony peace promises, while sin continued on the brink of God's judgment, was a way, so to speak, of erecting a defective wall and whitewashing it to make it look good. These descriptions are images not meant to to convey real wind, flood, and hail. The Babylonians were the actual destroyers of Israel's hypocritical false spirituality. Verses 12 and 13. Lo, when the wall is fallen, shall it not be said unto you, Where is the daubing wherewith ye have daubed it? Therefore, thus saith the Lord God, I will even rend it with a stormy wind in my fury, and there shall be an overflowing shower in mine anger and great hailstones in my fury to consume it. This is speaking of the prophecy which was supposed to happen right away. When the time comes and it does not happen, then they will be declared false prophets. God is speaking through Ezekiel to these false prophets. The effect of God's fury will be destruction and the false prophets will be consumed. Verses 14 through 16. So will I break down the wall that ye have daubed with untempered mortar and bring it down to the ground so that the foundation thereof shall be discovered and it shall fall and ye shall be consumed in the midst thereof and ye shall know that I am the Lord. Thus will I accomplish my wrath upon the wall and upon them that have daubed it with untempered mortar and will say unto you, the wall is no more, neither they that daubed it. To wit, the prophets of Israel, which prophesy concerning Jerusalem and which see visions of peace for her and there is no peace, saith the Lord God. This wall of false prophecy will not stand. The fury of God will bring it down and will also destroy these false prophets. There will be no question that this is God's fury on them. The physical wall around Jerusalem will come down. All the prophecies of better times, which are not from God, will not keep the wall from coming down. Those who gave these prophecies of peace gave people false hope. The false prophet will be destroyed along with the prophecy he gave. Verses 17 through 20. Likewise, thou son of man, set thy face against the daughters of thy people, which prophesy out of their own heart, and prophesy thou against them. And say, Thus saith the Lord God, Woe to the women that sew pillows to all armholes, and make kerchiefs upon the head of every stature to hunt souls. Will ye hunt the souls of my people, and will ye save the souls alive that come unto you? And will ye pollute me among my people for handfuls of barley and for pieces of bread, to slay the souls that should not die, and to save the souls alive that should not live, by your lying to my people that hear your lies? Wherefore, thus saith the Lord God, Behold, I am against your pillows, wherewith ye there hunt the souls to make them fly. And I will tear them from your arms, and will let the souls go, even the souls that ye hunt to make them fly. Women have had great influence in the religion of their country from the very beginning. Some of them have been to honor, and some to dishonor. The particular women here in the verses above are false prophetesses. They are like the false prophets and will suffer the same condemnation. The pillows sewn in the armholes have been interpreted to refer to either amulets, amulets placed upon the wrists that were supposed to convey magical powers, 
or bonds tied around the wrists of the inquirer that symbolized magically that the accompanying spell or incantation was a binding one. Whatever they were, they charged for it. It was similar to fortune-telling. We do know that there was sensual worship also going on at this time, so it could have been connected to that. These pillows mentioned in verse 20 were likely used in fortune-telling. They have something to do with snaring the people as you would a bird in a net. They're They're trying to steal souls away from God to false gods. 21 and 22. Your kerchiefs also will I tear and deliver my people out of your hand, and they shall be no more in your hand to be hunted, and ye shall know that I am the Lord. Because with lies ye have made the heart of the righteous sad, whom I have not made sad, and strengthened the hands of the wicked, that he should not return from his wicked way by promising him life. God will free the people from these wicked women. They have not offered hope to the righteous. They have saddened them. They were definitely on the side of the wicked. Ezekiel and Jeremiah both had preached repentance and hope for the righteous. Their false prophetesses had taught the opposite. Predators had saddened the righteous by a false measure leading, excuse me, a false message leading to calamity. They had encouraged the wicked to expect a bright future and saw no need to repent to avoid death. Verse 23, Therefore ye shall see no more vanity nor divine divinations, for I will deliver my people out of your hand, and ye shall know that I am the Lord. Divination had to do with witchcraft. God is the only one who can free a person from the grip of witchcraft. God would have to deliver them. There is no power on this earth that is not subject to God. When God speaks, every knee bows. I will deliver my people. Certainly, this was true in the restoration after the 70 years in Babylon, but will be fully true in the Messiah's coming kingdom. That ends chapter 13. In chapter 14... Verses 1 through 3. Then came certain of the elders of Israel unto me and sat before me. And the word of the Lord came unto me, saying, Son of man, these men have set up their idols in their heart and put the stumbling block of their iniquity before their face. Should I be inquired of at all by them? This is the beginning of a new prophecy. These elders have been trained in the word of God. They've heard the other prophecies and are inquiring of Ezekiel about themselves. God reveals to Ezekiel that leaders, they they were coming insincerely seeking God's counsel. And God reveals this to him. He indicts them for determining to pursue their evil way and defy God's will. They had set up their idols in their hearts. Even though the idols had been burned, they still think of them with fond memories. God says, if they still have these idols in their hearts, why don't they consult them and not me? An idol does not have to be one you can see with your eyes. Anything or anything, anything, anyone that you put above God in your heart is an idol. Their hearts are not stayed upon God. Four, four and five. Therefore speak unto them and say unto them, Thus saith the Lord God, Every man of the house of Israel that setteth up his idols in his heart and putteth a stumbling block of his iniquity before his face and cometh to the prophet. I, the Lord, will answer him that cometh according to the multitude of his idols, that I may take the house of Israel in their own heart because they are all estranged from me through their idols. 
These idols have committed sin in their hearts because in their hearts they were still worshiping the idols. True worship takes place in the heart. To replace worship of God with idols separates one from God. To even think of worshiping God while we still have thoughts of idols in our hearts is impossible. God will not share his people with anyone or anything else. You can't worship God and idols at the same time. They receive no verbal answer here, but an answer directly from the Lord in the action of judgment. Their idolatry has brought this captivity upon them. Estranged in verse 5 means they have turned away from God in their hearts. The double-minded person is not acceptable to God. Verses 4, I'm sorry, chapter 14, verses 6 through 8. Therefore say unto the house of Israel, Thus saith the Lord God, Repent and turn yourselves from your idols, and turn away your faces from all your abominations. For every one of the house of Israel, or of the stranger that sojourneth in Israel, which separateth himself from me, and setteth up his idols in his heart, and putteth the stumbling block of his iniquity before his face, and cometh to a prophet to inquire of him concerning me, I the Lord will answer him by myself. And I will set my face against that man, and will make him a sign and a proverb, and I will cut him off from the midst of my people, and ye shall know that I am the Lord. This is speaking of all the people, including these elders. The Lord answered the two-faced inquiry in only one way, by a call to repent. The seekers were turned away from him to idols, and he must be turned away from them. Everyone here leaves no doubt that this is an individual thing. This is not just the Hebrews, but the strangers as well. Another word for stranger would be Gentile, and sojourner means someone who temporarily dwells. So those who deliberately turn from God to idols will someday stand before the judge of all the world and be found guilty. God deals with this himself. He does not have to be open. This does not have to be an open act of idolatry. The heart is judged. God is not interested in an outward show of faith. He judges the heart. 9 through 11. And the prophet, if the prophet be deceived when he has spoken a thing, I, the Lord, have deceived that prophet, and I will stretch out my hand upon him and will destroy him in the midst of my people Israel. And they shall bear the punishment of their iniquity. The punishment of the prophet shall be even as the punishment of him that seeketh unto him that the house of Israel may go no more astray from me, neither be polluted any more with all their transgressions, but that they may be my people and I may be their God, saith the Lord God. There were false prophets in the land. God had judged their hearts, found them guilty of worshiping the idols. God causes them to believe a lie because they're not faithful to him. He builds up whoever he will and he destroys whoever he will. His judgment is just. He is God, and it is God who removes prophets, as it is God who builds up prophets. When one willfully rejects his word, he places a resulting cloud of darkness or permits it to continue, hiding the truth so that person is deceived by his own obstinate will. There is a responsibility for those listening to prophets to determine whether they be of God or not. To follow a false prophet brings the follower the same punishment as the false prophet. 
Every punishment that God brings on this earth is to cause those who are living in sin to repent. The desire of God is to be their God. He will not force himself upon them. They will choose to be his people, and then he will be their God. 12 and 13. The word of the Lord came again to me, saying, Son of man, when the land sinneth against me by trespassing grievously, then will I stretch out my hand upon it, and will break the staff of the bread thereof, and will send famine upon it, and will cut off man and beast from it. There was another break in the prophecy here. God is speaking to Ezekiel. We see that famine is one way that God brings punishment on an unrepentant society. Verse 14, though these three men, Noah, Daniel, and Job were in it, they should deliver, but their own souls by their righteousness, saith the Lord God. The three mentioned above were spoken of by God as being righteous in his sight. They lived in a society that was far away from God. The situation in Judah is so desperate that even if three of the most righteous men in the history of God's people were to intercede, they would be able to save only themselves. This scripture illustrates that even the presence and prayers of the godly could not stop this coming judgment. Verses 15 and 16. If I cause noisome beasts to pass through the land and they spoil it so that it be desolate, that no man may pass through because of the beast. Though these three men were in it, as I live, saith the Lord God, they shall deliver neither sons nor daughters, they only shall be delivered, but the land shall be desolate. The noisome beast would be for punishment of those living in sin. The problem will be there, but God will protect his own in the midst of the problem. Remember the one who held the inkhorn and the other five who were to mark certain ones who, uh, certain ones to be protected that we studied uh, a few weeks ago. Verse 16 is explaining the individuality of salvation. God judges on an individual basis. You repent and live for God. The land is desolate in punishment for sin. God will protect his own even in a famine. 17 and 18. Or if I bring a sword upon that land and say, Sword, go through the land, so they cut off man and beast from it. Though these three men were in it, as I live, saith the Lord God, they shall deliver neither sons nor daughters, but they only shall be delivered themselves. This is another form of punishment that God brings upon those who have turned against him. Those who truly love God may be in the land when these things come, but they will not be killed by the sword. A thousand may fall at their side, but they will be protected by God. Verse 18 tells us that God does not have grandchildren, just children. These sons and daughters shall decide for themselves to follow God. Each generation is judged on its own merits. 19 through 21. Or if I send a pestilence into that land and pour out my fury upon it in blood to cut off from it man and beast, though Noah, Daniel, and Job were in it, as I live, saith the Lord God, they shall deliver neither son nor daughter. They shall but deliver their own souls by their righteousness. For thus saith the Lord God, how much more when I send my four sore judgments upon Jerusalem, the sword and the famine and the noisome beast and the pestilence to cut off from it man and beast. This is a judgment that will come into the land because 
of a rebellious family. Noah, Daniel, and Job were three righteous men who lived in the same land, but with very evil people. This just explains again that their righteousness would not save their children. Only the children's righteousness could save them. Each person is responsible for his own sin. God sends four judgments upon all the people who have committed spiritual adultery in their hearts by worshiping false gods. The chastisement of God is great in these four judgments, but the sin was just as great. God fits the punishment to the sin. 22 and 23. Yet behold, therein shall be left a remnant that shall be brought forth, both sons and daughters. Behold, they shall come forth unto you, and ye shall see their way and their doings. And ye shall be comforted concerning the evil that I have brought upon Jerusalem, even concerning all that I have brought upon it. And they shall comfort you when ye see their ways and their doings. And ye shall know that I have not done without cause all that I have done in it, saith the Lord God. God saved a remnant of his people. These are they who have not bowed their knees to false gods. Those who live for him will be saved, even though everyone around them is lost. There is comfort in the knowledge of the remnant saved, who will return to Jerusalem later. There has been a separation of the evil from the good in the judgment of God. God is loving and kind, but he is also just. And that ends chapter 14. Chapter 15, verses 1 and 2. And the Lord, and the word of the Lord came unto me, saying, Son of man, what is the vine tree more than any tree, or than a branch which is among the trees of the forest? This is a new vision. The vine tree here is speaking of Israel. Israel, symbolized by a vine, had become useful for nothing. Failing to do the very thing that God set her apart to do, which is bear fruit, she no longer served any purpose and was useless. Other trees can be used for construction of certain things, but a fruitless vine is useless. It has no value. It's not strong enough to be used in construction or boat building or anything else. Israel had been thought of as being the vine and God was the branch. Jesus is spoken of as the branch in Zechariah 6, 12. And speak unto him, saying, Thus speaketh the Lord God of hosts, saying, Behold the man whose name is the branch. The trees in the forest here are spoken of. Uh, are spoken of the unsaved world. The vine tree is more than the worldly tree, only when they are attached to the branch. Their attachment to God made Israel different. Three and four. Shall wood be taken thereof to do any work, or will men take a pen of it to hang any vessel thereon? Behold, it is cast into the fire for fuel, and fire devoureth both the, both the ends of it, and the midst of it is burned. Is it meat for any work? Trees were cut down for wood to burn. They were not trees for God's use. The vine would not make wood for burning or even wood to make a peg or a pen out of. The vine was to produce fruit. In the case of Israel here, they were not doing God's work. They had lost connection with the branch. They had broken relationship with God. The vine, that is Israel, had been good for nothing but to burn in the fire. So God allowed this vi fire to, or this vine to be burned severely. God sent fire into Jerusalem and into all the land. Only a remnant had been saved. This is asking the question, can this severely burned vine come back and produce for God? Is it useful for anything? 
5 and 6. Behold, when it was whole, it was meat for no work. How much less shall it be meat yet for any work? When the fire hath devoured it, and it is burned. Therefore, thus saith the Lord God, As the vine tree among the trees of the forest, which I have given to the fire for fuel, so will I give the inhabitants of Jerusalem. Before it was burned, the vine had not produced, because it had detached itself from the branch. The vine is of no use to anyone, not even itself, when it does not draw its strength from the branch. God had not cut them off and abandoned them. They had detached themselves from him. The burning of the fruitless vine symbolized the judgment in the deportations of 605 B.C. and 597 B.C., leading up to the final conquest in 586 B.C. Isaiah made the same analogy in his prophecy, saying Israel produced only useless sour grapes. This vine detached was no more than a piece of wood to burn. God has no more respect for them than he does for the heathen world. God sends fire upon his people and Jerusalem. Five and, excuse me, uh, chapter 15, verses 7 and 8. I will set my face against them, and they shall go out from one fire, and another fire shall devour them. And ye shall know that I am the Lord when I set my face against them. And I will make the land desolate, because they have committed a trespass, saith the Lord God. This destructive fire comes from God. He will turn from them as they have turned from him. God is a consuming fire. His fire destroys all sin that he looks upon. This time, the fire is in his own people. God's chastisement was upon them. They may run, but there is no hiding from God. God's chastisement leaves no doubt with anyone that he is the Lord. Their trespass is not just a single sin. They have chosen the false gods of the world over the one true God. God makes them desolate because of their total rejection of him. The message that is so important for us to understand. Look with me at the words of Jesus in John 15, which explain how important it is for us to draw our strength from him. John 15, 4. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself except it abide in the vine, no more can ye except ye abide in me. John 15, 6 and 7, If a man abide not in me, he is cast forth as a branch and is withered, and men gather them and cast them into the fire, and they are burned. If ye abide in me, and my words abide in you, ye shall ask what ye will, and it shall be done unto you. John fifteen ten. If ye keep my commandments, ye shall abide in my love, even as I have kept my Father's commandments, and abide in his love. It is important to walk every day drawing our strength from God. Next week, we will study chapter 16. I hope you will join me then to continue this study of Ezekiel. Until then, God bless you. Have a good week. This has been another broadcast of Living the Bible Together with Dr. Troy Shaw from the Liberty Hill Church, where we worship virtually on Sundays at 11 a.m. For more information or to contribute to this ministry, please visit us online at livingthebibletogether.org. God bless you and have a great week. Liberty Hill, living the Bible together through education, missions, and ministry.